Hi, Nick Petrella here. This episode is sponsored by Volkwein's Music, a full-service shop that's been meeting the musical needs of musicians for over 135 years. They offer a huge selection of instruments, accessories, music, and more. They also have an unmatched instrument repair department with some of the most experienced technicians in the business. For years, they've serviced my personal and school instruments, and their attention to detail is why I and professional musicians from around the globe trust Volkwein's to service their gear. Head over to volkweinsmusic.com to see what they can do for you. That's V-O-L-K-W-E-I-N-S music.com. Helping people discover music since 1888. Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Welcome, podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. With us today is acclaimed pianist and chamber musician, Alan Goldstein. His artistic vision and innovative programming have made him a favorite with audiences and critics alike throughout the United States and around the world. He made his orchestral debut at the age of 18 with the Israel Philharmonic under the baton of Zubin Mehta and has performed with renowned orchestras and conductors ever since. As with all of our interviews, we'll link to his websites so you can read more about Alan and his substantial list of accomplishments and activities. Thanks for being with us, Alan. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So what's the most demanding part of being a professional soloist and chamber musician? Practice. Is it practicing? Yeah, it's the self-discipline. It's the constant, uh, you know, motivation, finding the motivation, uh, staying focused. The most demanding thing in this is the is the practicing, of course, because that's. I mean, I can make some calls, and then also, you know. When you make a call and, and when you put the program, you do A, B, and C, and then it comes up and you get it done and you move on. You practice <laughs> and then you practice and then you practice and then it can be sometimes two or three weeks until you see any result. Mm-hmm. And then you might go on stage and it doesn't go as well. And then off oh, the next concert would be only in, in one month or the next time I play the program would be in three months. And then, so, But still you have to stay focused and still so there is always the practice is very demanding. And, and, you know, then you should have started a new piece. And then until you start a new piece, until you feel comfortable with it, it takes a long time. Uh, so, I mean, definitely the practice is the most difficult. Talking to people is nice. That's fun. You can also go and have a little coffee together. It's, I mean. Yeah. Well, you can see you enjoy that. Of course. I love it. Yeah. Uh, again, being a, a, you said a soloist. Soloist? <laughs> I always like to say that the uh, uh, career of a soloist is grossly overrated. 
I mean, it's again, you have to embrace living alone. And you have to love it. I love being alone, but because I know I'm going to be with people. Yeah. I'm not, I don't like being alone knowing that I will stay alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an important point because people, when they see you on stage, they think, how wonderful. But they don't realize everything that goes into getting you on stage from the organization yeah. to the practicing, right? Yeah. I mean, it is wonderful to be on stage and becoming one with music and, and this whole magic that we call music. But you have to learn to live with insecurities and with instabilities and with uncertainties and with doubts. And, and you're only as good as your last concert. And if you had a bad concert, you might you know, haunt you for some time. Mm-hmm. You have a good concert, you feel great. And then the next day you have to practice again. <laughs> That's right. So again, I, I I always like to say it's the best life, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> so if if you can live with insecurities and instabilities and you, you learn to embrace, you know, doubts and sometimes you play a wonderful concert. You know, I remember playing with an orchestra in France in Salle Playel. It was a wonderful concert, Prokofiev Third Concerto. After the concert, you know, the manager of the orchestra takes me and the conductor to dinner. And then he calls my manager. It was Saturday night, so he only left a message that Alon was so spectacular. And let's talk on Monday to make sure we nail a date for his return. Wonderful. That was about 10 years ago. I don't know which Monday he meant because I'm still waiting <laughs> for that. No, I mean, yeah, there is many, many pieces to the puzzle which we call a performance. And one of them is that you'll play very well. And another is maybe sheer luck. And another is that, you know, that you will have the right piece at the right time or that you, or that someone will remind. Once I did an audition to the conductor of the London Philharmonic, his name is Vladimir Yurovsky. It was a great audition. It went over an hour. You know, if you didn't like it, he probably would be polite after 10, 15 minutes and say, oh, I'm busy, I have a concert tonight. And then he started to talk about possible concerti and, uh, you know, since you haven't played yet in a, with a major orchestra in London, we probably will play outside of London for the first time and so on and so forth. And then um, I thought, great, I told it to my manager and uh, after three months, I asked, no, just, just, just we have some dates. And so, no, okay, okay. After half a year, I asked my manager again. Something happened. It's like, well, the orchestra, the manager of the orchestra now, he wants to hear you as well. So next time you're in Europe, we'll try to organize. Ah, come on. No. Yeah. So, but, and then half a year after that, one of the people who work in my management called me. And said, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened last night. I said, what happened? I said, I was at a concert of contemporary music in New York. After the concert, I went into the subway and I met Vladimir Yurovsky in the subway. <laughs> and we started to talk. And, you know, sooner, sooner rather than later, he asked me, oh, you're a musician. What are you doing? And she said to him, I'm actually working at a management and, and one of my clients played for you a year ago. His name is Alon Goldstein. I said, oh, of course I remember alone, so and so forth. The next day I got a concert with the London Philharmonic Orchestra. I mean, <laughs> wow. it's like 
what you mean? So if you didn't meet him in the subway, then I wouldn't have exactly. that thought. Really? I mean, it's it's so sometimes it's so arbitrary. It's like it doesn't make any sense. Nothing makes sense. Which, in a way, should be liberating because nothing makes sense. Just sit down, and practice. And if you practice, and if you're genuine, and if you love people, and things will happen. Maybe not the way you think. Uh, maybe not exactly today. Maybe tomorrow. But just you stay on course. Mm-hmm. You know, like like these horses that have these things on their yeah, ear. They gliders, cannot look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you cannot look right. You cannot look left. Just look straight. And again. Yeah. It, it might not be what you thought will happen, but again, if you practice well and you meet people and you you know make connections and you think of it, things will happen at some point. And uh, and and my students are shocked. Like students who work with me, like suddenly things starts to happen to them. It's like it's like I don't we don't understand this. We don't know how it happens. It's like well, you're putting your heart and your soul and you're practicing a lot. And uh, yeah, yeah, but but why did it not happen before? I don't know. Before I know now, you're on course. You're putting in the, you know, I have a, one of my students last year. Again, she studies in Kansas City, mm-hmm. and in, during the year she went for concert-related activities to New York twice, to France, to Vienna, to Italy to Belgium, to Berlin, uh, and to Israel. And I told her, now you can imagine, if you were in Juilliard, would you also go to seven different countries like this? I mean, you might, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is because of your mindset and the way we think, the way we pursue things. And, you know, you're being focused. Another student of mine this year went to Germany, Israel, Switzerland, Italy, Seoul, China, Again, for concert things, and and, uh, and I tell them, I mean, just just pursue things. Look at uh, maybe there's a festival, maybe there's a you know a grant you can ask for, maybe there's just things of ideas. So she suddenly, oh, I will do a project on Chinese art song, and then she suddenly got some concerts in uh, Switzerland and Italy. I said, write to your embassy in Switzerland. Who knows? Maybe they will invite. write to your consulate in you know Milano. Maybe Knocking you can play the ambassador. Yeah. yeah, and suddenly they, and- they make things happen. Yeah, I mean, you're clearly passionate about teaching as well as the artistry. And and uh, so it sounds like you are deliberate in having those types of conversations beyond just, you know, how to how to play a, a concerto or something. You're having those conversations with students about kind of how do they position themselves in the in the market or whatever, however you want to phrase it. And how do they see themselves? Where do they want to go? How, what's their vision for for what they want to do? What is the vision of the students? Well, it sounds like you have that conversation with your students. Like, what are you working on? Where do you want to go? What's the, what are the possibilities with with your the pieces you're you're working on or the, the whatever they're doing? I mean, many of the students, you know, they come and they and you know they come to get a degree and go back to their country to teach. Right. Um, I'm a little bit puzzled these days when I talk to sometimes students who finish their. DMA, but if they you ask them about St. John Passion or St. Matthew Passion, they, they have never heard of this thing. And I, you know, and I go along as asking about the Brandenburg Concerti and the, the what? The Brandenburg Concerti, but you don't know them? No. Yeah, so, that's so surprising. How, 
it's it's astonishing. It's astonishing. I mean, really, it's it's shocking to me. I don't know. I need to. I I have not come to any conclusive um, thoughts about that. But I'm almost certain that this whole idea of a DMA lacks so much in it. Mm. But not, yes, of course, it, how, how can it have everything? Yeah, 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 I understand. But no, no, no. I'm talking about, if you don't know Brandenburg Conchetti, if you finish your DMA, what, what is this DMA? Uh, and, you know, <laughs> and then you will ask the pianist how many Brahms symphonies there are, and he would know. You don't know how many symphonies Brahms, yeah, that, you're right, that should not be studied in conservatory. You should have known it when you were a teenager. But if you're actually uh, uh, in music, so why are you in music? It's not to know that. It's just, this is, we are in love with music. Why would you not know? I mean, this, how can you be a musician and not know this music? This music, it has nothing. I mean, this, if you don't know this, and this degree is really worth not even the paper that was signed. And then me being part of a university, I'm sorry, we are failing because we obviously give this degree to people who don't know this. So, so why are we lying? Yeah, what know, should like, be in there? What should be in the degree? Right. Yeah. And and uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a conclusive yeah, yeah. Uh, thought about that. And uh, But again, being part of a conservatory, I, I'm... I'm shaping my uh, teaching where my students, for example, I mean, I, I, I tell always my students that, you know, you get a job not because you have the degree, but all the extra things you did. So, for example, my students, they have to do world premieres because I have this project where I, I commission pieces to write uh, I did a, like, for example, now I told you about Bartok, where composers were writing pieces to reimagine Bartok into the 21st century. So my students were giving uh, nine performances of pieces by Bartok next to nine world premieres. So you give world premieres. Then I take my students to Florida to play for schools and, and all these small communities. Then, um, you know, they have to go to all of the concerts in Kansas City, symphony, channel music, everything. Mm -hmm. Then I have a other project where we, where we played Bach or Scarlatti with dancers. And we recorded all 32 Beethoven sonatas. I remember and I thought, that. okay, if, if I'm, I'm, in, if, if I'm uh, searching someone for a job and I see, okay, this guy got an EMA, this guy got an EMA, oh, he's also doing a recording of Beethoven sonatas and he's also doing it concerts at schools and he's also doing a, you know commissions of pieces and world premieres and he starts a concert series. I I did a project for my students. Every student who can start a concert series in Kansas City during COVID will get $750. That's great. And, you know, and there's that theme again. It's that engagement. You're engaging those students as a mentor and you have an apprentice approach. You're modeling for them. You're having them do it under your guidance. And I think that's going to continue to pay dividends. The project I had with Bartok, this was just two or three weeks ago. One of my students, I wanted to do it all at school and also outside of school. And I thought the Museum of Modern Art in Kansas City can be a good place. So I asked one of my students to go to the museum and get the venue. How? I don't know. 
go get the venue. Yeah, figure it out. Yep. Yeah, figure it out. And then another students had to figure out how to bring a piano. And they both succeeded. <laughs> so it you was had great. a Clavanova. No. <laughs> no. No. I don't I don't know how to make music on uh, electronic. Yeah. I was I was kidding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. <laughs> but you'll be surprised. I mean, sometimes people ask you, especially in these outreach in the oh, schools, sure. you know, that we have a Clavinova. And I, I don't, you know, the fact that he has a, a keyboard is misleading if the sound is made out of electricity rather than, yeah. you know, acoustically, then I don't know how to yeah. control that sound. And, and then just to play louder or softer, I mean, it's, again, it's cheating. Yeah, touch and things. Unlike other jobs, performing artists are reviewed by critics. What's your approach to dealing with their critiques, especially when they're different from what you're expecting based on how you performed? I mean, my approach is I do my job and the critic needs to do his job. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not uh, like disqualifying a critique and at the same time not necessarily embracing it. Uh, I mean, he's doing his job. Mm. I must admit when I go to see a, a play, I love theater. So when I go to see a play in New York, I, there's a good chance I will read the critique before. Or if I'm going to see a Met Opera, I might want to read the critique. Uh, I mean, unless there is a, an actor I know or, or a singer I know that mm-hmm. I don't need so much. But if I don't, I mean, if, in terms of the musical performance, musical performance usually is a one-time thing. So <laughs> sometimes it feels that people are going to concerts and then they read the review the next day to see if they enjoyed it or not. <laughs> no, no, so, I meant I met you. Like, how do you feel? I know. How yeah. do I feel? I mean, if it's a good critique, I feel wonderful. If it's not good, I don't <laughs> okay. feel so good. But, I mean, I have a small circle of uh, friends who I trust, and I will try to play for them. Um, it's not that I don't trust the critic, but I think the critic would also agree with me that, you know, you have the people that you are around with and... And then I play for them and, the, you know, if the idea is, oh, if I read the critique and suddenly I will change something in my approach, I don't think the critic would like, would even uh, approve of that. I mean, he's doing his job and I'm doing my job. So I don't think, you know, and, and he, I hope he probably heard lots of music before and lots of concerts and, you know, and then that's his opinion. It's, it's wonderful that, you know, and then, then but I, it's not necessarily something that, well, it would influence me. There's sometimes that I don't read and sometimes that I do read. And of course, if it's something critical, it can kind of ruin your mood and then you turn the page mm-hmm. and you move on and then you continue. So, but yeah. I mean, it's wonderful if there's a critique because that means we are alive. Sure. Yeah. You know, if we don't, yeah. if there's no nothing, then you know, it's, oh yeah, yeah. it's like a, the circle. There's a critique, there is an audience, there is a, a PR, there is a right. social media that is wonderful. So it's, you know, yeah. So that's, that's kind of my approach. And, uh, Um, you, so you have a number of recordings going back uh, nearly 20 years, some as a soloist, some as uh, with an ensemble, chamber ensemble. Uh, how do you those how do those recording projects come about? Is it, again, is it you saying, I want to do this or do the labels or um, you know other companies come to you and say, we'd like to make a recording of this piece or um, these pieces? Every recording is different. Let's see. My first recording was from the Philips collection. 
in Washington, D.C. I played a solo recital and the presenter, who was a very close friend, he said, oh, I would love to start like a series of CDs from the collection and would you mind if I take your recital and that would be our first CD. So, yeah, so he took my solo recital there and it was like a, a solo CD. And that was kind of the first one. And then the second one was like a collection of pieces by Israeli composers. And mm-hmm. the Israeli Music Institute came to me and said, I always include an Israeli piece in my programs. And he said, oh, would you consider doing a CD of Israeli pieces? Mm-hmm. But that was kind of the second CD. And then I had, the, I mean, I have a CD of, Scarlatti sonatas for Naxos. So, for example, they they have um, a series of I think altogether will be thirty plus CDs, and they asked me if I can be a part of the series and record a CD of Scarlatti sonatas. Then I have a collection, a series that I'm working on a Mozart concerti arranged for quintet, and and. Uh, this I came to Naxos said, oh, you know, I have this. They usually will not do uh, repertoire that is recorded often. So, but this this is a arrangement of this Mozart concerti in a chamber music arrangement, where it's like piano and a string quintet. Yeah. And so I came and said, they like it, and we did one CD and became bestseller bestseller on Amazon number one in both categories of concerti and chamber music. And then they wow. said, oh, can you do another CD? Cool. And then another CD. And now they asked me to do the whole concerti of Mozart in this version. So I finished four CDs already. The fourth CD would be coming out in the fall, and then I would record the fifth CD. And uh, So every CD had a different kind of sure. uh, burst. See, if... if- if more quartets would add a bass to their to their quartets, they'd sell more albums. Yeah. <laughs> of course. That's but again, you have, you, have, you have an interesting idea uh, of some repertoire or interesting sure. again thoughts and, and so so you, you you just write and you ask and the worst thing that can happen is that they will say no. Alan, we've reached the Part of the interview where we ask all of our interviewees the same three questions. And the first question is, what advice would you give to someone wanting to become an art entrepreneur? Pretty much everything we've just <laughs> talked about in this entire interview. But if you could maybe summarize it in, in a couple sentences. I mean, just talk to people to come up with ideas and listen to people. You know, maybe have a little notebook where you can write ideas because you never know where they will come up. Um, and... You know, just share, share with people, and, and but do something that you really believe in. And if you do it, then do it with all of your heart. And again, the worst thing that can happen is that it can be difficult. But I, 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 <laughs> I tell my students that no is a delayed yes. Not yet. Yes, and I prove it to them again and again and again. So many no's that we get. And half a year later, or two weeks later, or two years later, it becomes a yes. So, yeah, you know, and always, always stay optimistic. What can we do to ensure the arts are more accessible and reaching the widest possible audience? What can we do? Um, I mean, I try to do just go and play in different venues. 
and uh, you know just it's very interesting you know we talk about you know shrinking audience I had a very good friend uh, who passed away some years ago he was a wonderful kind of a thinker philosopher and he said that you know things goes in circles maybe in some years we're gonna go back to playing music in salons and and um, the music most of the music that I am playing 18th 19th century even 20th century I mean it was not conceived with Carnegie Hall in mind mm-hmm. it was conceived in a beautiful salon uh, or church um, so you know we When I ask my students to start concert series in their in like in Kansas City, three of them started in different churches, and I told them just put mask it was during the covid put mask sit fifty feet from each other, just play, 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 play. So what can we do is just play you know, just think of my parents there for the last twenty five years they are doing a concert series in their house. they open their house once a month, you know invite. I told them just open the I told my mom just open the the uh, concert series of the Tel Aviv Museum and call the people who play in Tel Aviv Museum and ask them if they want to come and play through the program two days before in your house and uh, in, invite fifty people and make music and the people who come to these houses they would not replace it by anything they just love it it's so intense and they get to talk to the artist and then uh, you know. So I mean again, making music happens on so many levels, and one of the levels is in a wonderful concert hall, and another level is in a school, and another level is in a house, and another level is in a church, you know and it's wonderful to see how music will adapt itself as well. Yeah. So um, you know yeah. uh, lastly, what's the best artistic or entrepreneurial advice you've uh, ever been given? I'm thinking if I was ever given an entrepreneurial advice I don't know I, 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 I when when you asked me the question when I saw the question and I thought about I don't know if someone gave me an entrepreneurial advice um, and if I think of idea or you know put your eyes in the target or really believe in what you I don't know if someone told me that right yeah uh, maybe it's just the people that I spend my time with that I see that what they do they really believe in it strongly um, and just education you get from home and from your friends and how they perceive things I think if someone gave me a specific advice uh, career advice yeah. it's very I mean probably did but doesn't come to my mind right sure. now no, that, yeah, that's, that's no worries that's, that's fair yeah Well, Alon, it's always great to speak with you, and I'm sure the audience, it, they're going to feel your passion for music because it, it surely came across. Thank you very much. I really, it was wonderful to talk with you both. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast. Thank you.